Chapter 24 of The Queen of Appalachia This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Kolada The Queen of Appalachia by Joe H. Borders Chapter 24 Tragic Scenes at the Palace On Monday morning, the second day following the duel scene in the vicinity of the palace, Paul and Queen Olivet were in the act of taking a train for a day's sightseeing when a courier from the palace was seen running towards them and they halted. Paul was given a sealed packet, labelled important, and making apologies to his companion, he broke the seal. My guest, an acquaintance of yours, is seriously ill and asks for you. He read no more, and hastily explaining the urgent call to Olivet, they returned home, and he hurriedly took his leave for the palace. The avenue was not so crowded as on Saturday, but the people were in evidence and were lost in amazement to see Paul boldly enter the grounds and enter the palace. He had no difficulty in gaining admission, he was known to every servant in the queen's employ, and he was ushered into a pretty little room where he found Miss Arnold, apparently in great pain. He sat down on the edge of the bed upon which she lay and took hold of her right hand. It was hot, and she was burning up with fever. The queen stood by and looked on without a word and presently went out. Before she returned, Miss Arnold had opened her eyes and smiled faintly, almost immediately falling into a deep sleep. Her fever was leaving in haste, and Paul walked over to the window overlooking the east grounds where the Queen found him upon her return. Finding her guest painless in sleep, she signaled Paul to follow and they passed into the adjoining room. She was not so gorgeously gowned as when they first met, but there was a richness about her costumes that invited admiration. She was a connoisseur in the art of dress, and her gowns were gems of loveliness, and with the jewels of rare beauty that adorned her person, together with her natural comeliness, she presented a lovely picture. Be seated, Mr. Thornton. Tell me what to do for the unfortunate girl in yonder room. The doctor gave her enough medicine last night to kill or cure, but she grows worse right along, and I was almost beside myself. In my extremity she murmured your name, and I sent for you. I had grave doubts about your coming, but if she must die, I am glad you are here, since she is one of your people. Don't worry about her, spoke Paul. She will awaken soon, having forgotten her illness. Hark! Yes, this she, I will give her a glass of water. No, remain here. I will attend to her once, said she, tripping through the door and closing it behind her. Paul, forgive me, said Miss Arnold as she threw herself at his feet. Her sudden appearance so soon after the Queen's exit gave him a surprise and one he would have avoided. Miss Arnold, said Paul slowly. 
This performance on your part reminds me most forcibly of another one away back in Princeton, but under different circumstances. Forgive you? Yes. When you know all, you will never speak to me again, she cried. My dear girl, I know more than you think. But come to the sofa. There, now, listen. You were jealous of Olivet and followed us to this land where you became a willing tool of Angelina. Here you were easily persuaded that I was enamored with Olivet and you were thus led on by hypothetical reasoning. In the first place, it was unfortunate that we ever met since it turned out such an upheaval at home. But I will assume all of the responsibility resulting from that affair. Your first real false move was in your chaise that ended with your arrival here. The next fatal move was the position you assumed in trying to thwart my purpose, which you know was both manly and just. Do not censure me, Mr. Thornton. I have shed tears of regret many, many times since starting out on my foolish trip. When I reached the point that separates this country from ours, I began to see my folly, and my first impulse was to return, but something seemed to urge me on. Oh, Mr. Thornton, do not think me weak or shallow. It was my love for you that led me into this blunder. Miss Arnold let her head fall on Paul's shoulder, and just at this moment Angelina swept in, unannounced. You are a physician worth having, Mr. Thornton, said she, taking the scene before her. Instead of a pale, sickly, and suffering woman, my guest has been transformed into a blushing, happy girl. I am sorry to interrupt you, but the royal carriage is at the door, and Mr. Thornton cannot well refuse to occupy a seat for a pleasant outing. You will excuse us, Miss Arnold. Come, Mr. Thornton. Paul was thinking of another queen who was awaiting his return for an outing, but he could form no excuse now, and there seemed no escape. He glanced at Miss Arnold and saw a look of regret in her face. With pleasure, madame, said he. I hope to meet you again, Miss Arnold. Good morning. That afternoon, after Paul and the queen returned from a trip that encircled the entire kingdom, they were seated in her private dining room, where a tempting luncheon was served. Directly, the footman entered and announced that Father Brown was in waiting below. Show him into the library and say I will join him presently, was the madame's order. And turning to her guest, Mr. Thornton, I want you to meet Father Brown. He is one of our greatest men, very religious, learned and a gentleman. Will you accompany me? Rising. Paul was about to make an excuse, but instantly changed his mind and followed her. Once he entertained the thought that possibly he was walking into another trap, and a vision of chains and prison walls loomed up before him, but he gave her the reins, perfectly willing to risk the consequences. Pausing at the foot of the grand stairway, as if in doubt about something, she hesitated a moment, and her face brightened, immediately linking her arm in that of her guest, and they started down the spacious hall and entered a small but charming little room. 
This is the leisure room, Mr. Thornton. Take that rocker. I want to tell you something before I usher you into the presence of Father Brown. You see, he is my counselor, and to him I submit all my sorrows and troubles, as well as the knotty problems of government for scrutiny and solution. Our dual science the other day came pretty near doing the good man up, and he pinned me down for the whole brute of the matter, which he managed to wring from me, little by little. Did you tell him all? asked Paul excitedly. Absolutely. What did he say? When he finally became possessed of the whole of the unfortunate circumstances, he wept like a child. For the first time, I realized my awful mistake. I was ambitious and stopped at nothing to pave my way to the throne. With this flash of reflection came a flood of tears, and I wished to die. In my misery, I dropped to the floor in front of Father Brown, utterly crushed. You surprise me," said Paul. "But Father Brown, he said not a word. He would not even touch me, but quitted my presence. The saddest-looking mortal I ever saw. His wretched look sobered me instantly, and scrambling up, I called to him. His arms shot up as if in a not another word warning, and he walked away and out of sight and hearing. Have you seen him since then? No, and I dread to see him. You will go with me, Mister Thornton. I cannot bear to face him alone. Nonsense," said Paul. "Close your eyes, Angelina, and mind you think of nothing concerning your troubles. Bring to mind the memory of some happy day in the past. Try to think of your happiness on that occasion. Now, sweet peace hovers over you. Hold to those pleasant thoughts." And smile. When they entered the library, there were no visible signs of weakness. Father, I want you to know Mr. Thornton, Mr. Thornton, Father Brown. Paul saw at once that his reverence was an icicle. He merely glanced at Paul, and a frown disfigured his otherwise pleasant face. Instead of rising to meet Paul. He turned his back to him. Finally, got up and walked over to the window. An embarrassing silence followed. Father, I am at a loss to account for your action. If it had not been for Mister Thornton, I could not have met you here. I was a wreck. Father, when I came in here a moment ago, my heart was light. My conscience was free. I was happy. That feeling still permeates my very soul. Oh, father, you could not turn your back on one who stands so near to God. Who, say no more," Paul cried out. "I will leave his presence. It is best. Stay, Mister Thornton. One word before you go, father. Turning to the indifferent counselor, father, I know not what you would say to me of my confession. Be that as it may, your unchristian, ungodly performance today, in silently heaping insult upon my guests, finds no favor with me. I may be a fiend, you may call me a murderess, and I may be guilty of innumerable sins. And yet, guilty though I may be, I blush for the great head of the church, 
and my heart goes out to you in pity for your lack of love and manly qualities. Her words were cutting like a razor, and his reverence slowly faced the speaker, anger and scorn visibly affecting his serenity. Yesterday this man was a stranger. Today he is my friend. Yesterday I hated him with all the mad passion of a daemon. Today I revere him with all the love and adoration of a woman whose cup of happiness is full and overflowing. Yesterday I could have killed the man who sought to deprive me of the crown. But now, father, I feel that I am not fit to be his servant, and that I was wrong. I honor him. I command you, Father Brown, to make amends, and a failure to do so now and in this presence forever ends our friendship. You have my ultimatum. During the Queen's clever raps, Paul kept his eye on the figure receiving them, who appeared independent and autocratic at first, but his expression underwent a number of changes before the eloquent tirade ended. While he no doubt deserved a reprimand, Paul was not so sure that such a severe castigation was demanded, and anxious to help him out of the difficulty, and before he could utter a word, he made an appeal. I beg of you, O Queen, to forget what you term an offence. As a matter of fact, I would bend my knee to no man, therefore I ask for no apologies. I care nothing for outward actions from others. They know not what they do. Men who are born into the spirit cannot be offensive to anyone. He could not give offense. Godly men are so filled with love there is no occasion for snobbery. Truth and love are reflected from great sun rays with such power that his bounteous grace and Christian spirit reaches out and dispenses brightness and happiness to every creature within the radius of its extremity. The extent of the rays depends largely upon the stock of love on hand. I believe that our very action is for our good, and I am inclined to look with favor upon what appears an unpleasant incident. Now, Queen, I will bid you a pleasant good afternoon. The queen looked after the retreating form in silence, and presently threw herself onto a chair and covered her face with her hands. My daughter, I absolve you, began Father Brown. The difficult character you assume would have taxed the endurance of the nerves of a giant. Your eloquent censure on one hand, and your flattery, your meaningless honeyed words from a charming mouth on the other would have put to shame the greatest comedian of the 19th century. The only incident to mar the success of the comedy tragedy was the pantomime feature. I assure you, it is a most difficult role and a trying experiment. I prefer the free use of my tongue. The lad fell into the play nicely. He is an easy mark. The queen was too exhausted to reply to the flattering criticism of the recent episode. Realizing the false position he was wont to place her, she suffered him to continue in order to gain time to play a trump card. She was a woman of intelligence and good sound sense, 
and while she was never more in earnest than when she was reading his titles clear yet in making an enemy of father brown she had not counted the cost these and familiar thoughts crowded her brain and in her silence she was avoiding or at least prolonging an awkward situation and passing a most critical struggle in her dilemma she gave herself up to tears it was not exactly a case of between the devil and the big sea but she was in a peck of trouble again father the throne is not worth all this trouble she finally thought aloud i have about made up my mind to abdicate in favor of all of it i am afraid you entered into the spirit of the farce too seriously my daughter get rid of such nonsensical idea no matter what happens olivet must not reign she is not of us and we must never submit you said a few moments ago that paul thornton was an easy mark let me tell you that you are deceived if you honestly hold to that opinion he is the strongest man in this kingdom to-day and mark my words you can feed him tons and oceans of honeyed words but nothing but right and justice will move him his gentle bearing which you say is the result of flattery is merely his christ-like manner which has too much reality in it to be false in his abundance of charity and love he would readily consent to make the change with as little propixity as possible and if you look upon him as a man whom you can turn aside by fair or foul means be undeceived at once you have grown melancholy spoke he his presence here is a mistake he is a mesmerist of that i am certain and if you permit him to visit the palace you will become a slave to his accursed influence and we are lost the game is already played father thornton holds the winning card and why refuse to surrender the prize he has treated me in all fairness you seem to forget that he knows my secrets and yet withholds them from the public we must get rid of the fellow said he who is he that he comes here from the outer country and demands a throne for some woman that he brings along no we will appeal to the people let him do his worst further conversation was abandoned by the chorus of a thousand tongues in unison as they cheered to the echo that drowned their voices stealing to the window they looked down upon the demonstration the like of which was never before witnessed in appalachia and paul thornton was the central figure End of chapter 24 Tragic Scenes at the Palace Recorded by Kolada